You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. I mean, I want to express to you guys, I hope you're well-rested. Because, you know, we just had that time change thing. Like the clock an hour, that's so crazy. You know, it's bound to mess with your sleep. And you're probably doing some kind of tough uh, spiritual struggle during possibly. I mean, even if you're cutting back on caffeine, that's like a big, big thing. You know, you're going to need to uh, rest while you're doing this. You're going to need to take some rest. Take your rest. Take your rest during during that. That's important. I hope the people who help... Yeah, did you guys see how clean it is around here? Did you notice? It's really clean and sparkly in here today. We had a whole team yesterday. I hope they're getting their rest today because our Organized by John Landis, a team of people cleaned up for us. Springtime. Springtime's good. I hope you're getting your rest. Think about, um, I want you to specifically focus for a moment on how you felt this morning when you woke up. Like, go real far back. You probably moved, really, moved on really quickly from that moment in your day. But let's go back there right now. Like, the very earliest moments of you waking up today. I hope you can maybe get there. I mean, for me, it was sweet. It was so sweet. So good, it was so comfortable. And the temperature was just right. I was so well rested. It was just starting to get light in the room. I woke up and it was so, really so sweet. And then I remember, like after, I don't know if it was a minute or an hour for that moment. I, I really don't tell you the story. I don't know how long I was in that little moment. I hope yours was sweet like mine. It was so great. It felt like everything was right in the world. And then I remembered I was supposed to come and talk to you guys today and I started getting nervous about it. I felt like I wasn't ready and I started thinking about the day. what I was going to do, and all this stuff, and then I got up out of bed, got ready. Um, how, was it, how was it for you? Does anybody want to share? I think, that, I think there might be something interesting there in that moment, like before you really know what's going on in your life, you know, there's some kind of like pre-thinking state that you're in when you wake up nice and fresh in the morning like that. I mean, are you, are you does it, I mean, maybe your experience is wildly different and I had a time, a good part of my life that was like that, where I woke up every day kind of in a panic. And honestly, like, weekdays are still kind of like that. But on the weekends now, I can really settle in. It's nice. But don't miss it. You know, you woke up today. And you, had, you had that moment before you went out into the world, right? Before you started thinking about uh, yourself, you're just like, was it secure for you? Anybody share? Good? Yeah, Pat, come on.
He's a, he's like a, Joe Rogan's like a internet guy, right? Yeah. All right. I just wonder. I just wonder. I think that's an interesting. I don't know. I think it's an interesting state. You don't get that much except for that, right? Time of the day. And I hope you get some of that in your life. I hope you get that moment where you just feel so secure, and then you don't have to. There's no need to think of anything or to anticipate anything, and you're really uh, refreshed. Um, just kind of like a blank slate. Feels so good. I need more of it in my life. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was I was just reading this thing. Somebody showed me this article. Okay, this is my wife. She's like a psychology person. She gave me this article, and I'm a teacher, right? She gave me this article about teacher stress levels over the year, and uh, it's very very scientific. I didn't read the whole thing, but I got a little bit out of it. Did you hear? Have you ever heard of this thing called cortisol? All right. What is it? The stress hormone. Why does stress get its own hormone? <laughs> but it does. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Well, so this study was looking at like how teachers deal with um, like their stress and how it changes specifically like over a year. And and what do you what do you think? When do you think is like the most stressful time of year for teachers? Oh. Oh, that sounds great, Ben. That's when like everybody's hopes and dreams could be real. And we all think the best of everybody, but by spring, <laughs> springtime, you know, like kind of how each student is going to go, and it just all seems pointless. Let me tell you the truth. By springtime, it's rough. Thomas, you got something to add? December slash kind of vacation time. Yeah. Also, I felt like you said like after the first, like after second semester, you felt like you like were jaded by it, and you just didn't care anymore. Second marking period. Yeah, that's when the grades are lowest. I don't want to stay on that because it's just, you know, a fact. Be kind to the teachers in spring. This is the most stressful time of year. But anyway, to prove this, what they did was they were looking at cortisol levels in people. And do you know all this this cortisol? Like when you wake up in the morning, you're basically like, uh, you're cool, you know? No cortisol. But the cortisol dump like starts right when you get up and it peaks like mid-morning, I think. Right? So this special stress hormone hits you hard each day. It's like a it's a diurnal pattern. Is that correct? Diurnal, which is like the opposite of nocturnal. It's a daily pattern associated with daylight. It happens every day. It's not too bad. Okay. It's tough. I mentioned this because that, that wonderful blissful state. I hope you were able to zero in on and identify it. Almost like that baby-like, infant-like state of being in bed and so warm and comfortable. Uh, even though I, you know, I'd love to feel that fresh all day, every day. That would be so great. 
right? Probably wouldn't work in the world, right? It probably wouldn't work. As soon as you walk out your door, you hit something that makes your cortisol levels spike. And, you know, I mean, the world's not that easy. You know, and you can't actually stay in bed all day. You can't do it. I mean, some people try it, but it just doesn't work, right? I mean, unemployment's not that great, right? One of my friends was just telling me that's, it's just not that good. All right. Um, so tonight, uh, this Lent, we're, we're looking at um, this particular Jesus story from March, uh, from Mark, I'm sorry. Mark and March, the Gospel of Mark, in the month of March. Let me tell you about this guy and myself before I get to the, the text in the Bible. This guy like three new people showed up to my cell this week, right? Who I didn't know at all. It was so cool. And they were in my living room. And we had uh, oven fries. They were so good. And uh, I was happy because the, the guest that came, like, even though he never met before, like, and I just put like these oven fries out there, they're like eating them up. It was real good. But it, like, there weren't any like secrets to this, right? Like, they knew this was like a God thing and like a God space for God talk. That was clear. Like, even though we were, it was, it just seemed to be a gathering for people who wanted to just eat fries and talk about what's new. Like, they knew what was up. Because, like, halfway through, um, the guy sitting next to me, his name was Steve? Yep. Yeah, Steve. Steve, like, he said this thing that, like, hit me real hard. It was real deep. Uh, he said, um, he kind of said something like, hey, like, he was, like, just breaking the ice. Like, hey, I, hey, look, I know this is a God thing. I know this is a God space, and I don't really know completely what I feel about God. In fact, he goes, look at this. Look, he goes. Pretty much the way I look at it, um, I'm just here. I'm here. Like, all of a sudden, I'm here. I didn't ask, you know, to come here to Earth and have life. All right? I'm just here. So, so I don't think anything should be really be, like, be required of me. Is that like a kind of like how he said? Yeah, Am I sum, summing it up? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like me too, man. <laughs> I was like, it was it was like really deep, but it was really sad too. I was really sad about it, kind of. I was like, wow, I kind of get that because I like being in bed like that before I get up and before I know what's out there, you know, in the world, and before I have to like do anything or even know that I have to do anything. Before I like even realized that I must act, you know that that wonderful find this. I guess it's like Zen. I don't know. I don't know that much about Zen. Yeah, I would like to be there all day too, man. That'd be great. But um, can you do that? I felt I felt bad for him when he said it. It was really honest that he said that. Like it was so honest. Like I don't know. I don't. Why is anybody requiring anything of me anyway? I mean, I didn't ask for any of it. And I thought about it more. I don't know. I didn't ask for that. We just met, you know? We just were eating fries. But, uh, you know, I hope he comes back to self. I want to hear the story about his mom. I'm thinking maybe, like, I don't know. I had this kind of thing with my mom, too. Like, I don't know. I didn't get something when I was a baby, maybe. I kind of wonder if I really have a place at the table. In this world, right? There's some fear I get sometimes, and I and then and then that feeling comes up, like, well, I didn't ask for it anyway. The whole thing seems, 
And then I was thinking about it more. I was thinking about this guy because it's so you know. It, I was so happy this stranger showed up out of nowhere, came into my cell, and said something like so true, something that's not often said out loud. Um, made me think of uh, like, wow. I guess it made me think. It sounds like his life is pretty safe. Or he thinks it's safe. Like there's no need to do anything. Like I can stay in the same place, or I can. Imagine doing nothing really as a like maybe it's my best option. I wonder how many people in history ever got to choose. Like, I guess I can just sit here and do nothing and never do make up my mind about anything, like, as a safe option. I think that's a special thing right now in this world, right, right now, maybe. I don't know. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a space where you can do that, there's a space where you cannot develop and. I don't know, still eat. There's a space where you can coast. coast. Yeah. yeah. And you see a lot of young people getting kind of stuck in that muddy space. He's being sarcastic. It's kind of in the air nowadays. This is a, a thing. And I wanted to tell him, I wanted to tell him, like, do you remember when Obama said that thing? Uh, a couple, I don't know, I think it was last year. Remember the thing he said to somebody? I don't know. He said, you didn't build that. Remember he said that? No, he was talking about somebody who was in business. He's saying like, oh, you Amazon billionaire, you didn't build that, you know, like I don't I don't really know why Obama said that to tell you the truth. Let's not get into it. But I wanted to tell uh this Steve. I wanted to say, wow, like, you know the world that 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 feels okay enough to you, like to kind of stay in one place. You know, like you didn't create that. Like, there's all these people kind of letting you kind of stay in that one spot and not, I don't know, make up your mind, not develop, not, you know, you're kind of okay there. Okay, let me tell you the Jesus story, okay? This is coming from Mark. I mean, we're talking about all this because I think he was telling himself a particular story about the world he was living in, right? We tell, we tell stories, it makes sense of life telling stories about it, and um, this particular story just didn't seem like a, a real great one to be living in, I don't know. Um, I didn't think it was going to be great for him, I didn't think it was going to be great for the world either. It, again, it just made me kind of sad. So I love the honesty. Here's um, somebody coming to Jesus with a particular story. Ben shared this text with you last week, right? Talked about it yeah, every week. week. You're going to get this every week. And my intention with the story tonight is... Um, I don't know, to pick out some of the things that I noticed about it. I want to give you a little bit of context if I can. I invite Ben, who's a, we have an honesty goodness seminarian here with like Bible knowledge from, uh, what is that, like postgraduate school, graduate school? Yeah, seminary. Yeah. Seminary, it's for real. Pay a lot of money for it, we should use it. So I invite Ben to uh, chime in. I might ask for a paragraph or two of data. All right. When I get there, I'll let you know. Here's the story. One of the scribes, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he is Jesus. Seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. Beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This, this is much more important than all burnt offerings and all sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So, okay, some context. This is happening in Jesus' life towards the end. He's in Jerusalem. It's not his hometown. Center of power in the place he lives. But um, his people are under the power of Rome, foreign, occupying, political force. Okay? Um, and this chapter, Mark's writing, Mark's telling it, what is there, like five or six stories in this chapter of Mark? And all the stories are about Jesus, uh, Jesus' authority being questioned, basically, because he's like at the temple. He's like in front of like, I don't know what we would call it now, like the Capitol building or something. He's going to the place where the, it seems like the powerful people are where the important stuff happens. And um, he's interacting with these people who are questioning his authority. So I'm, I'm picking out, I'm noticing on, did you hear the part? Um, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well. And that's, that's the situation. So do you ever see this like happening in real life? Like where, I see this all the time. Often the subject is like greatest basketball player of all time or something and the kids get really into it at my high school where I teach, you know, and they have these like disputes. <laughs> That's kind of what's going on. This isn't just like a passerby though, this is like one of the scribes. Scribe. Scribe means writer, right? Ben's gonna fill us in kind of on what yes. scribes do. Sure, the scribes are uh scholarly, you know, people. They're they're interested in the literary tradition, which is uh, developing more and more at this time. The technology of even writing is, is more possible, so they're developing more thoughts about this. And, uh, uh, scribes are, you know, other two groups that get mentioned that, that are always in these disputes are Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. Um, so I thought they were, they were varieties of scribes. Uh, oh, that, that they might actually that they could be either yeah, like Pharisee people that care, people that read the, the scripture are scribes. I I heard both. I, I I think I have heard that, but I've also heard that the scribes might be um, even a, a, another class unto themselves. I think it's it's all speculative when it comes to some of that stuff, which is just not enough content to get from Right, right. But this was kind of their business of this kind of disputation or discoursing, or debating, whatever you want to call it. It was very much their business. You know? Yeah, they, they were like professionals. This is what they did. Right. 
and uh, being in a public place too is an important part of it because uh, because they're gaining adherence this way, or, or they're reinforcing the the uh, power of their story or their version of the way things are, right? By gaining adherence. Yeah, and also the the, the Jewish text itself is a dialogue. This is also kind of the culture, not, not even just in Jerusalem, but the whole Greekified world. People get together in the center of town and talk about stuff. And in Jerusalem, they're talking about the Holy Scriptures, and I imagine this is like a crowd of people, like they're talking, like you know, kind of like we were when we were doing the alphabet backwards. That's what the, the temple looked like. And you're, oh wait a sec, Sherry's kind of getting this right. Let me listen mm-hmm. to this this circle. Go oh, wait a sec, Jess. Oh, she's speaking with authority. A marketplace of ideas, yeah. so to speak. Maybe it's like being at college or something, and, and maybe something like being at college um, nowadays. Like there are like factions, right? Like there's not just a bunch of people who think a bunch of interesting things. You know, there's schools of thought, right? And did you notice how people do this? We have schools of thought, and the uh, I, I don't know. It's when, when people are doing this kind of thing, sometimes, I'm not accusing anybody in particular, but I think sometimes we are um, outsourcing like the actual computation, the reasoning through the ideas, saying, well, I like what, what this, what these folks have figured out, or the story that these folks are telling makes the most sense to me. I don't know, I'm feeling that story. Right? And um, that's kind of how we go, and that's what they were doing at that time too, really similar, I think, to the world now, how it is. The thing that they were uh, talking about uh, was the temple. And you can imagine, just like behind Jesus' shoulder, you can see the temple, those grand old buildings behind them, probably all smoky. Uh, it's going about the business of um, sacrifice, of religious ritual, and there's many people in the business of that, scurrying around doing that, that thing that was very important for them. And it's happening uh, in very vicious uh, ways, and there's common people too. Everyone's sort of attached to this and involved. But things are not exactly right, right? Very much in the uh, consciousness of the time, and this is reflected in the scribes' thinking, and even in terms of these different factions, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, which were another group, was just like nowadays, you know, like we have this idea, I'm just picking an idea, uh, but you know, for us, you know, it's very easy to talk about this idea of America, and everybody has like a, a different story about how it's flawed, how their particular group sees the flaws and, and what the way forward is, right? Very much at the time, it's the same situation, because the, uh, the Jewish people of whom Jesus was a part are not feeling okay with their temple, not feeling okay in their land with this foreign power and it's like is the whole thing all for naught because this thing the way we do it nowadays it's so far from what would ever please god right that we maybe we should just stop you know it's it's that kind of crisis that's going on so this person who when you're just reading the story casually 
might seem like a random person showing up and asking Jesus a random question. It's very much, um, no, this is a thing that people do. And they're in the place where they do it. And Jesus is talking about the temple and everything associated with the temple. All the religious work that's going on constantly. So when the scribe is asking, which is the greatest, which is the first of all the commandments, you know, it, it's very interesting. He's admitting, there's sort of an admission there, that there's a, that this thing has grown into a sort of complexity that's beyond what's practical. Can a faithful person just simply please God? Is it even possible? You know, and that's what I was feeling about um, Steve and myself. I was, I was feeling like he was up against the same question, you know. That he's heard all these stories, you know. He's heard the narrative from here and there. Or he's had enough um, encounters with these different schools of thought that already he feels like forced to choose a side. Right? Another thing you should know about the, um, the scribes as a, as a group at the time, in Mark's story and the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Mark makes no, um, you know, Mark wrote this many, many years after Jesus was killed. And Mark makes no, like, secret about it. Like, the scribes are out to get Jesus. You know, he kind of has the scribes as, like, the guilty party, the people who really were pulling the strings to um, make the political things happen to get Jesus arrested. And All right. I'm just trying to fill in some of the details about this story that maybe you haven't considered before. The world very much like ours. Things are not right. Many factions have a different story. The factions are in conflict. And here comes Jesus. The scribe asks him, trying to get him to say something, you know, because it was a puzzle. Everybody was puzzling over it. How can we even, can we even keep doing this? Does this even make sense anymore? So Jesus answers. Did, was his answer um, peculiar to you? I mean, it's peculiar to me. I've heard this scripture like a million times, and often it has this like comforting kind of feeling. Which is, which is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus says. I, I, I hear a Sunday school children's voices chanting it. Right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then when you think about it, Jesus' answer. With all your strength, all of it, all your all your might, all your intelligence, all your soul. What does that even mean? And and what is the what is the predicate? What is the doing thing that we're supposed to do? Loving. Hold on. Now, not only not only is God demanding something of me, but the demand is love. How can you demand love? That's so. I'm just feeling Steve and myself, you know, right? Like, I imagine that the demand seems um, strange. Like, how does that even work? What do you want to, just tell me what to do. You want a sandwich? What do you want on it? I can do that. So I don't find it um, especially comforting. I don't find it especially comforting because it's a huge demand. I mean, I mean Jesus, right, obeying this particular commandment, uh, I mean, he obeyed it to the end and gave up his life. That's what loving with everything was to him. Right? 
and we toggle that same thing. I don't know. Uh, but the other part of Jesus' answer, which I didn't mention, might might clue us in. Scribes coming to Jesus. The scribe is wandering around in the uh, passages, hallways of power, where there's much controversy. He runs into this very new popular leader who's saying very popular things that sound revolutionary, and he, and he asks him, "Okay, okay, what is the what's the key? What's the one thing? What's the what's going to solve it? What's the answer?" And Jesus's first words are, "Shema Yisrael." You recognize these words? You probably heard them if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah, but it's like the most basic prayer in Judaism. I can't say it. But I probably know half of it. I've heard it so many times in my life. Barah, no, uh, yes. They're all names for God. This is what it means in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Um, these are probably some of the oldest words, at least the oldest prayers that are repeated in that way in Judaism. So Jesus is, is apparently coming from somewhere else, but he's, he's staking a claim right in the center of the tradition. He's quoting Moses' uh, book, Deuteronomy, from the Old Testament. You remember after the Israelites left Egypt, they were given the law, Moses came down from the mountain, singing. It's, it's, a, it's a strong, strong command. Not only um, is Jesus demanding everything and demanding love, and it seems like he shouldn't be able to demand it, but he's saying, this, all this belongs to God. Everything, all of it. Referring back to the Shema, that prayer, the Shema Israel, there, you know, they have some different ways of understanding it because the words are so old, not everybody agrees, right? What it means. That's particularly the part where they say the Lord is one. And some people say this is like the oldest uh, place where we're seeing monotheism in the world, right? The idea that there's one God. You, you remember from high school, right? The Greeks and Romans had like many, many, many gods. And don't take it for granted. That, that's the norm for a long time. It took human beings a really, really, really long time to come to the idea that there is one creator God over everything. And Jesus reaffirms that. But Jesus' um, answer, I mean, the, the, the thing he's connecting to it is totally new. Not only uh, does he add, he adds mind. In the list, he's saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He adds mind to it, which wasn't in the uh, Deuteronomy text. I'm not sure why. Maybe a mind was a new idea in the world that didn't exist thousands of years earlier. I don't know. Maybe that's Jesus' way of saying, Yeah, no, I mean, really, really everything. Even the way you understand the world and yourself. The way you understand the world and yourself. Make that like about love. Make love the way that works. 
stop for a second. I'd like to hear from you. This Lent, we're, we're saying that you got to feel it. What, what does it feel like to be loved? To be loved? Like, in your body, how does it feel? And, like, how do you participate in it? Like, what's your response? I think it feels a lot like, a question. like what you were describing Right? Like, yeah. Like all coming all together. That there's. That I'm appreciated and safe. Um, you know, wrapped in contentment. That's very good. Yeah. What happens in your body, though? Like, what are the feelings? Yeah. Kind of lightheadedness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, you know, it's like a feeling of being humbled. Yeah. I think for me, my shoulders like. Yeah, I know. feel like you're really like standing on the earth sometimes. Do you feel like that strong love feeling? I'm not. I'm not talking like when you fall in love because that's when it's still like on the tiptoes and everything's floating and that's kind of weird. That's like its own kind of drug. But I'm talking about when like mama loves you. Or like, you know, something like that. How does it feel? Okay, so how do you, you're, you saw some things in your body, like, right? You, you noticed some things in your body. How do you participate in it? Like, how do you, like, how do you, well, you're loved, right? How do you participate in it? Like, what's it, how do you respond to it? How do you get, how do you get more of something? Like, what do you do in your body? Is this a weird question? I'm asking you, I want to know in your body, because... Trying to get away from thinking. Right? Trying to get away from schools of thought. I, I remember when when um, I would get home from like a car trip, like get, get home late at night, and I, I have memories of pretending to be asleep so that my dad would carry me to bed. Yeah. Like I was too big really to like it wouldn't, but he would carry me anyway. And so it, Yes. Still as possible. That's it. It's like, I think when we're struggling with love, you know, lots of times we're like, no, I gotta, you know, I gotta earn something here. I gotta earn something here. Or, no, it's gotta be the right way. Or, I don't know. Or, hold on, not yet. Or, I have boundaries. And, like, like uh, participating in love with your body is more like surrendering, right? It's like giving up. It's like staying in bed. It's like, no, I'll stay in bed. I'll, I'll, I'll receive more. It's like hard to, um, you know, come up in front of everybody and like say like, yeah, like you got to do this. <laughs> you have to surrender, you know. But, but, but I think that's what Jesus is saying. What's, what's the greatest? What's going to answer all of it, Jesus? What's going to make it all right? What's the greatest thing? What's the one thing I can do? I need a solution. What is it? And Jesus is like, keep surrendering, keep giving up. Yeah. Keep surrendering. Keep on surrendering. Right? Jesus, I, I love, he brings it back to the, the Shema, the who we are. 
There is one God over all of us, the most high. The most high love over all of us. So give up completely. Surrender completely. It's a huge demand. But but tempered with, I, I mean, I don't know, I had this idea when I was a kid, and it was love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. But the feeling that got into me was, well, as much as you can, wherever you are right now, to the degree you can right now. You don't know God. Uh, I mean, some of you know God better than me, maybe, and you know, I don't know God that well, really. i got to keep giving up to the most high love. I gotta keep surrendering. It tells me so okay, so conclusions, okay? Here we go. This is the crazy thing. The scribe agreed with Jesus. This is like the only story where Jesus and the scribes are on like the same team. This is the only time it ever happens. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus says to them, You're not far from the kingdom of God. I love to hear that right now. Hey, you know what? Right here, right now, you who came in the door here, you're not far. You're so close to the kingdom of God, right? That's the kind of good coach like word I need in my ear to like make that next little step. I gotta keep making little steps. I gotta keep uh, receiving the most high love. I gotta keep surrendering to it. I gotta keep giving up. Don't take on monotheism, you know, for granted, because people are praying to a lot of stuff. And people think a lot of stuff is more powerful than God. People think that there are other things that can demand their love. And you probably should get it. Don't take it for granted. Maybe say the Shema to yourself. Hear, oh Israel, hear all the chosen ones. Hear, hear it, Scott, again. Most high love is the Lord. He's our Lord. And he's one. There is no other. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.